This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Yeshua is coming back, but someone else is planning to crash the party. Will modern-day DNA technology play a role in the revealing of the son of perdition? Dr. Doug Hamp explains how an ancient human hybrid blueprint is setting the stage for the final deception. Plus, we have our third and final report from Ukraine with Trey Sprinkle. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom to our fans. By the way, this is part of the May love gift. We'll talk more about that in a second. For now, welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Hey, tonight is our final extended show featuring a report from Trey Sprinkle, who is helping out in Ukraine with all kinds of things. We'll get into that a little bit later. He's gonna give us the scoop on what's really going on. And speaking of what's really going on, does modern day science have a role to play in the end times? Hmm. Well, when it comes to revealing the son of perdition, Dr. Doug Hamm certainly thinks so. Uh, Dr. Doug is back tonight with the second episode of The Strong Delusion. This episode is The Counterfeit Sun. But right now, let's take a look at our new calendar, the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. There you see it on the screen. The new moon was seen earlier this week, and that means that we are now into the second biblical month. If you purchased one of our new calendars and have not received it yet, don't worry, it's on the way. Now, Please welcome my co-host, the Chief Operating Officer of A Rude Awakening International, Ted Clayton. Well, Scott Laird, thank you so much for having me on today. Yes, sir. And Scott, I'm telling you, this, this series, uh, the extended series with Trey has been spectacular. Ladies and gentlemen, Trey is a... Um, uh, a partner with A Root Awakening, and he's been uh, in Ukraine helping out there. And you're going to hear some more things tonight that you may not have heard on mainstream media. So be prepared to have just a fantastic, fantastic extended show uh, with Trey tonight. But now, mm -hmm. Scott, we have another special guest that's with us. We do. Now, this man is a, a supporter of A Rude Awakening, and yes. uh, he's a good friend of yours because yes. you are into the same uh, technology hobby, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, why don't you go ahead and, uh, and take the reins and uh, explain a who we're going to see here. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the absolute pleasure to introduce to you today, Don Goodrich. He's a wonderful individual. He has helped me out with the Messianic Net and been our net controller for a lot of the uh, nets that we have had. And he is here to talk to us today about uh, what's going on with the Messianic Net and ham radio and everything. Don, it's good to see you today. Yes, it's great to see you too, Ted and Scott. Well, Don, listen. Tell us a little bit about yourself, because I know that you have a, a long history, not only in ham radio, but in technology as a whole. So, Don, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, I've uh, been in computers and electronics since my high school days, actually. Uh, so, all the way through college, I've now retired after 50 years in the industry of computers and software and hardware and did a lot of design work for a lot of different companies. Most recently, I was with Northrop Grumman and was part of the web development team for the Webb Space Telescope. 
Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. Don, uh, talk to us now a little bit about one of your and my favorite things, the Messianic Net that happens on uh, Tuesday evenings. Tell us about that. Okay, so I wanted to start with the purpose. Uh, This helps us to practice with our equipment, uh, get used to talking on the air. Uh, We'll test our capabilities to make sure our radios, antennas, and connections are all in good working order. And then we can pass along pertinent information to the member group. That way, as if an emergency arises, we've got this practice in place where we can uh, disseminate the information to all of our members. It's Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern time. And the frequency, of course, is 7.237 megahertz. That's a lot of rental cars, by the way. <laughs> this requires a general ham license or better. So uh, the technician license that we talked about earlier for the Bofangs uh, will, is enough for local communication and a local emergency situations, but it's not quite enough to get to uh, the Messianic net. So you really need an HF-capable transceiver with an appropriate antenna. On the other hand, if you're only listening, if you only have, uh, if you don't even have a license, you can still listen in through a, a transceiver or a shortwave radio or even a software-defined radio that you can bring up on your web page. Uh, there's a, a web address that you can use for that. Uh, if you are listening only, send me an email at don.goodrich at cheerful.com so that we know that you're out there and we can log you in as, as a participant. Uh, on the other hand, uh, sometimes atmospherics gets in the way. So recently we've had a lot of noise on the, the frequency and sometimes radio jamming can create high noise levels. So keep trying and we'll get back to you eventually. That's, if you're located, go ahead. I'm sorry, that's fantastic, Don. I mean, really. Uh, okay, so once again, now give us that email address that people can write to you and let you know uh, that uh, they were listening on the Messianic Net. Yes, so that's don.goodrich, just like the tire, at cheerful.com. Okay, don.goodrich at cheerful.com. Okay. Okay, and once again, that's going to be at 8 o'clock Eastern time uh, here uh, on the East Coast. And uh, we'd love to have you there. We'd love to have you be with us. And uh, we just look forward to uh, having you there. And Don, I just want to say thank you once again for all the hard work that you do. And the next show, we're going to talk a little bit more about some other fun things that are coming for you folks out there that you can do to get your technician license. So we'll be back with Don to talk about that too. Okay, Don? Yes, sir. All right. Thank you very much, Scott. So now another thing we need to talk about, uh, talking about emergency situations and this kind of thing, Mm -hmm. uh, summertime can be an emergency for this ministry. Because sometimes, you know, folks go on vacation and what happens when we go on vacation, we put all of our efforts into that and we forget to give. That's right. Uh, And that's a situation we come up with you know, often every summer, but we'd like to sort of head that off at the pass, as it were. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to be there and we want to be your source of quality, religious, and biblical teaching, ladies and gentlemen. And we can only do that through your sacrificial giving here to A Root Awakening International. Right now, Michael is still recovering, still doing well. You've seen him things on like Passover, for example. And once again, we want to say thank you to everyone that did participate in Passover. But we just want you to know that we're here for you. 
We need your help to make this happen. And during the summertime, you know, things are happening like uh, vacations and uh, just going and doing separate things. But please don't forget this ministry. This ministry is so important to so many people out in the world right now. And it's because of you, our, our wonderful partners that allow us to do the things we do. So once again, we're gonna ask uh, for your sacrificial giving during this time of year uh, to make sure that there are no sh uh, summer shortfalls this year. So once again, Scott, I just wanna say thank you to everyone. Indeed. Now, another way you can give to this ministry is through the love gift. You saw me hold this up at the very beginning of the show. This is part of the May love gift. We have some other things on the table here. We don't have time to talk about them, right. but it's an awesome thing to support the ministry month by month, and we're gonna just tell you more about it in the commercial, so thank you for joining us today, Ted. Okay. All right, so Yeshua is coming back, but someone else is planning to crash the party. Will modern-day DNA technology play a role in the revealing of the son of perdition? Well, Dr. Doug Hamp explains how an ancient human hybrid blueprint is setting the stage for the final deception. And stay tuned after this episode for our third and final report on Ukraine with Trey Sprinkle. But first, it's The Kitty with Michael. Stay tuned. In the book of the Revelation, we are warned against being lukewarm. But lukewarm is not a lack of being hot or cold. It's about being mixed. It's about having a Babylonian mindset. Let's be careful in this day and time not to allow ourselves to be conditioned by the Babylonian mindset that is gonna offer what looks good, mm -hmm. makes sense, it might save my life, but if I'm seeking to save my life, I might lose it. The Babylonian Mindset with Bill Cloud is a sobering, poignant challenge for our times. But this exclusive teaching is not for sale, and it's not on YouTube. The only way to watch it is to receive it as a thank you gift from Michael Rood. Donate a $50 love gift, and we'll send you The Babylonian Mindset with Bill Cloud on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you The Babylonian Mindset, plus a Hebrew alphabet coffee mug, featuring all Hebrew letters with their English equivalents and pronunciations. Or with a donation of $300, we'll send you The Babylonian Mindset, the Hebrew alphabet coffee mug, plus a pair of candle holders made from olive wood from Israel, etched with the words Shabbat Shalom in Hebrew. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. These special gift collections featuring Bill Cloud are available only in May and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts, 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. The Apostle Paul said that Yeshua nailed the dogmas, the doctrines and commandments of men, of the arche and exousia, that he overcame, that he nailed their commandments, their man-made dogmas to the cross. And because of that, we are not to allow any of the arche and exousia, any of the religious authorities of men who made up their own commandments to judge us. 
because every one of the feasts of the Lord are prophetic shadow pictures of good things to come. So don't let any pagan, let no religious authority judge you concerning the Sabbath, the new moons. And on the Sabbath, we do not allow the world to judge us and tell us what to do. We know that Yeshua paid the price for us. And the last night he was with his disciples when he took the bread and he blessed the Most High with this blessing. Baruch atah Yehovah, Heleno Melech HaOlam, Hamotzi Lechem Minaretz. He said, this represents my body, which is now broken for you. As often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of him. And then Yeshua took the cup and he said, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood. This is what this represents. This is what it's always represented. Do this in remembrance of me. And he said that prayer, Baruchata Yehovah Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Pari HaGafen. Blessed are you, Yahweh, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And he said, do this in remembrance of me and don't let anyone disparage you. Do this until I come again because I have made you priest and kings. Shabbat Shalom. So the basic concept for every believer is that Yehovah, God, has a son, Yeshua, or in the Christian context, Jesus. So there's this son and father relationship. Is it the same on the other side? Well, Nimrod, as we learned in the last episode of this series, was called the son of death. He's basically Satan's son or death's son. How does this work, Dr. Douglas Ham? Thank you for joining us again. <laughs> yeah, Maybe you absolutely. can explain this. Right, yeah. So in, in volume two, I talked about how Enlil, which is Satan, Enlil was said to have a son who was Ninurta. And Ninurta was the ancient name for Nimrod. All right, now mm -hmm. we, when we look at the name Nimrod, it actually means let's rebel. Right, so the Bible's giving us his true character, whereas in the ancient world, he was known as Lord of the Earth, Ninurta. Um, he had all these different epithets of really being this hero. We talked about that, that he was also known as Heracles or Hercules in some other context, right? But he was thought to be the son of Enlil, who was the god who held the Tablet of Destinies, and he was the one who had authority over the affairs of men and all this different mm. stuff, okay? so. Yeah, absolutely. But what does the Bible tell us? Well, it talks about the son of perdition. Well, a son of, it means that you're, you're of somebody, right? Son of God, son of perdition. Exactly, sure. right. So the son of perdition, uh, that is who we call the Antichrist or the beast, the little horn, right? He's got all these different names, mm -hmm. right? But why is he called the son of perdition, right? Well, this, this really takes us into understanding who is this character. And when we see that, uh, Satan is going to give the beast, the dragon's gonna give the beast his power, his throne, and his great authority. Mm. There's something going on there that, that um, is kind of below the surface, right? So um, this started in Corrupting Image Volume 1. I was looking at Genesis 3.15, and I was like, there's something going on here, right? Because God says he comes in the garden and he, he speaks 
uh, he speaks to Satan. He says, you know, he says, there will be enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And I was like, wait a second. Her seed is the Messiah. That's Yeshua. Right? That's Jesus. So who is your seed? When God's talking to Satan, who in the world is he talking to? Right. Right. So in Corrupting Image Volume 1, I went into all kinds of detail about the genetics. And, and so what I proved is that genetically speaking, when we're talking about seed, we're talking about DNA. Okay. And you start, you, know, you start looking at, okay, what is DNA? We've got chromosomes, we've got genes, we've got the double helix. We get inside of that. You always keep going down smaller and smaller till you get to nucleic acids. All right, so you got A, T, G, and C, and I'm like, okay, what are those? And you can't really go substantially down any further, but what you realize is that there's information. And I read this book by, in the beginning, by Dr. Werner Gitt, in the beginning was information. And what he mm -hmm. posits in there is that information is a non-material entity that requires a physical medium, right? And it was just the light bulb that went off. I was like, oh, okay, so information is non-material. When we talk about spirit, we're talking about something that's non-material. Okay. And that requires some kind of a physical medium. So that's all, when we, we talk about seed, that's all we're talking about. Seed or the double helix, which is inside of a seed, that's just a, that's a storage unit. That's your hard drive for your software, hmm. right? So when God says between your seed and her seed, we're talking about data, we're talking about information. And there God is saying that Satan is going to have a seed. And this blew me away, right? So that's talking about the anti-Messiah. That's talking about the antichrist, if you will, the beast. So, and then of course we saw this in Genesis chapter six, where it talks about how when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters are born to them, that the sons of God came down and they saw the daughters of men that they were fair, they were tovot, and they took any that they chose and they, they sired this, this hybrid race known as the Nephilim, right? So we know it's possible. We know that angels are able to have progeny. So in the days of Noah, the way they did it is they somehow manifested and they had physical relations with women and they created this hybrid race. But in the age to come, will it be like that? And I touched on this in Corrupting Image Volume 2, that what I, what I propose is that uh, Enlil begot, in a sense, he, he fathered uh, Ninurta, Satan fathered Nimrod, not necessarily through the union with a woman, but somehow he was able to impart his DNA, mm. impart his seed onto this person of his choosing, right? And how could he possibly do that? Well, there's something really interesting. This just came out uh, about a year or two ago where a man named Chris out of Reno, Nevada, he needed a bone marrow transplant. So he got um, some, uh, a donor gave him some, some bone marrow and there was a forensics lab that was following this whole thing. Right, so they tested him before he got it and then after. And what they discovered is that the DNA in his, in his, um, in his sperm, it changed hmm. from his own DNA to that of his donor. Right? Wow, okay. And this kind of blew me away, right? Because what that means is if, if he were to sire children, they would not genetically be his but they would be that of his donor, right? So 
this gives us some at least window into how this could potentially this could potentially happen is that Satan's able to impart his DNA somehow and then uh, there's a transformation in the individual. I also think that quantum mechanics, quantum physics may have a part to play in this, right? There's something called quantum entanglement. So this is when any two, um, any two particles interact with one, each other, with one another. Then, and then when you separate them, they still have a bond and they're able to communicate uh, instantaneously, faster than the speed of light. They're able to communicate, right? So, I, what, I'm, what I'm suggesting is that if you have some kind of a quantum entanglement between Satan and this individual who's really excited about Satan, right? There's a quantum entanglement, and po potentially it's some kind of where Satan's like overshadowing, almost to, to some degree how the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, all right? Satan is mimicking that, and he's able to then impart and implant his seed into an individual. So it's like a, is this like a possession, like a demon possession as we see in the Bible? Is it something like that? I, I think it could start as a possession, but I think it goes far beyond mm. a possession, right? That maybe it starts as a possession, but then there's this, this continued um, relationship between them mm. so that it goes beyond a possession. It becomes really an impartation of the seed and a transformation of the DNA, wow. right? And this is where uh, things like uh, CRISPR-Cas9 technology that you know, now they're able to, to uh, actually change DNA uh, very cheaply, very easily, and they can do it in a living being. That's the part that you have to understand. You can now transform a living being and change their DNA, right? So this isn't in science fiction, this is happening today, right? So with all of these things, Right? I, mean, I can't tell you exactly how it's going to happen, right? Because I'm not that smart, right? But I, but I know that things are happening. I know that there are all these different mechanisms that, that can make this happen. And somehow Satan is going to use all of these different tools and probably a whole lot more because he's way smarter. And he's going to then transform an individual from being basic human to becoming a god. You know what's interesting about that, where you, you mentioned the CRISPR-9 uh, technology, is I read something the other day, uh, it was just a couple of days ago, as a matter of fact, um, and I didn't go looking for this, just across things that, that I was looking at, and, and it said basically that if our DNA can be changed to that of something not entirely human, then what happens in the sense of just our physical reality here and uh, one world government, that type of thing, if we are not, or if an individual is not entirely human, what happens to human rights? Mm. What happens to all the things afforded to a pure human? Mm -hmm. If you have now been altered, they take your DNA and say, I'm sorry, you're not human, that doesn't apply to you. Right. Now all kinds of other things can be uh, enforced upon you. Right. Because, yeah, yeah, it, it opens up a whole can of worms. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's <laughs> scary stuff. Right? It is scary, yeah. <laughs> but it ties in. I mean, it's, it's, this stuff is happening now. Exactly, I mean, right. So, so basically, Satan is going to create his own avatar, hmm. right? Look, Satan doesn't like to share. We know that much about him, right? He, he's kind of a selfish guy, <laughs> right? So in order for him to give away his power, throne, and his great authority, who's, gonna, who's he going to give that to, yeah. right? Well, somebody who he knows is absolutely 100% in step with him and it's actually controlled by him, yeah. right? And Part I think, of him. I think right? that's the point. I think this is Satan's way to incarnate himself. Mm. That's really what I'm getting at, right? This is, 
This is his way to basically incarnate himself in through a man. So the man becomes the vessel, but then Satan gives his own DNA so that this man goes from just being human to now becoming a gibor, right? And that's what we saw in Genesis chapter 10, where Nimrod, right, he starts off basic human, but then he becomes, he starts to become a gibor, right? And the way that the Septuagint translates that is he became a gigas, he became a giant, a hybrid, mm. right? So that he became some kind of a hybridized being or a god, for lack of a better word. So this is, this sounds a lot like Satan's attempt, Satan always counterfeits everything God does, right? He doesn't have an, an original idea in his head. So he is trying to be like Yeshua. Just as God was the impartation of the Father, he's trying to do this now in the end times and be his own son of God, as it were. Right, and you know, I don't think that Satan's just like, how can I be like God? Like, how can I just copycat? But I think he understands that well, God always has the best ideas, right? And you always have to think, what does this serve what, what, what purpose does this serve in Satan's agenda, right? And again, he is trying to keep Jesus from coming back and reclaiming the planet that he rightfully owns, mm. right? This is a life and death scenario. This is an all or nothing. So Satan's gonna pull out all the stops and he is going to do everything possible to try to stop Yeshua from reclaiming the planet. And, and of course, this is what scripture tells us, right? right? When you start thinking about it, you're like, wow, this is really, it's clever. I mean. You know, I'm glad that he, he, he fails, but ultimately he's got some interesting ideas, right? And this is the direction that we're gonna go because again, it's part of that grand deception, right? So the strong delusion is we've got these hostile aliens that are threatening life on planet earth. We mm -hmm. need a savior. So Satan raises up a savior with himself and this man sort of merging, becoming this avatar. And that's how he is going to be able to stop the two witnesses, because that's the only thing that's gonna stop them. The beast that ascends out of the abyss, the beast that was, is not, and ascends out of the abyss is going to rise up and kill the two witnesses, right? Right. So then the world's gonna buy into that, like, oh, great, we need this guy. And literally buy into it, because I'm assuming here that Satan's not gonna do this for free. That's right. I'll get rid of these two guys for you for a price. That's so what's right. the price? <laughs> I mean, what's the... Yeah. What's the catch here? Yeah, so basically, so I understand you've got a little problem with these two witnesses, is that right? Yeah, well, I can take care of that problem for you, but it's gonna cost you. And that is where we get into the covenant with death and shale. Mm. And as the, as the name suggests, it's kind of a pricey, pricey deal. Yeah. Right? So uh, that is something that he's gonna say, look, I'll take care of those guys for you. Now look, I think the Bible's telling us sort of the, the basics, here's the bottom line type thing. But there's gonna be a real spin on this thing. He's not gonna say, I've got a covenant of death and shale that I just need to sign up for. And everyone's gonna be like, oh great, I'm gonna sign up for the covenant of death and shale. <laughs> it makes yeah. perfect sense, right? <laughs> it's not gonna have that name in this world, right? But that's what scripture is telling us that that's what it is, mm -hmm. right? That's what it is. And, and so this, this goes into the question of authority. And authority is a huge deal. Right? Now look, if you're Satan, you're fighting against an all-powerful being. How do you win? Right? You know, if you and I are gonna arm, arm wrestle, and I know that you're like infinitely stronger than I am, do I really think I have a chance? Well, of course not, right? So I've gotta find some way to, to, uh, to legally cheat, mm. right? So there's only one legal cheat that Satan has against God, 
And that is the question of authority, right? So we, we talked about this in Corrupting the, Image, Corrupting the Image Volume 2, is that when, when Satan came into the Garden of Eden, what was he really trying to do? I, I mean, we know what happened, right? But there was something that isn't absolutely clear on the surface, but it was a matter of dominion. God gave the dominion to Adam and Eve. Hmm. But by the time Jesus and Satan have their little encounter on top of Mount Hermon, he says, hey, just bow down to me. Because look, all these kingdoms, I'll give them to you because they've been delivered to me, right? So he had the authority. And of course, Jesus died and reclaimed that authority that Adam and Eve had squandered, right? right? So Satan has to get authority. And that's where the covenant with death and Sheol comes in. Mm because that's gonna be mankind giving up their authority. So in the garden, so man gave up his authority. So they didn't, yeah, they, like you said, Satan questioned the authority and got man to give it up. Yes. Trick them, in other words. And that shouldn't be too far-fetched because we see things in this world where rights don't necessarily, you know, God-given rights especially, especially if you talk about the United States, don't go anywhere, but a, a, a government or folks can say, well, you don't have that right. And people say, oh, I don't, because they don't know they have the authority. Right. And they willingly give it up. It's not that someone took it from them. Right. They gave it up. Yes. That's what's happening here. So Satan does not really have the authority against God, but he's gonna trick everybody to, in, in, uh, to give up themselves. Is that what, we're, what this is? Exactly, exactly. It's kind of clever. Yeah. <laughs> I have to hand it. I'm like, that's pretty clever. Lots of governments right. use it too. They're very useful. Well, exactly. <laughs> right? And so, yeah. so again, it's all part of the strong delusion, right? Yes. Is how do you get the world to such a place that they're willing to give up their God-given authority and mm. to give it to somebody else? And again, that's where the whole deception comes in is, again, God sending the two witnesses to say, time's up. You need guys need to repent. We don't want to. So then we turn to this other entity or entities, the, 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 the aliens, as it were, to come save the day. Mm -hmm. And Satan's like, I will take care of those two witnesses, but we've all got a band together. And so I need you guys to give me your authority, as it were. Mm. Right. Wow. That is amazing. Well, so now the two witnesses, ah, well, we should get into this later, I think. We'll, 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 we'll save this for, we're about to get into a big topic. So I wanna save that for the second half, okay? So first of all, first thing I want you to do, we've talked about corrupting the image one, corrupting the image two, and corrupting the image three. All of which you can get at douglashamp.com. We ask that you would support Dr. Doug for coming here and uh, get the whole story because this is just one third of it. <laughs> There's two <laughs> other books. So you need to go get them all. You can get them on Amazon. You can get the hard copies on Amazon. Now, the uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you said that the PDF version is available on your website. What yes. about the previous two books? They can get those on my website as well okay. or on Amazon. Okay, and, and the, well, the, the literal books, they can get the first two at your website. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. All right, so however you decide to do it, there's the information on the bottom of your screen. And secondly, we wanna encourage you to support Shabbat Night Live. Why? Because unless someone supports Shabbat Night Live, this doesn't happen. Lots of stuff goes on behind the scenes. It's not a free program. People work here. There's lights to put on. There's all kinds of real uh, expenses. And so we need your help to help 
keep that going. Someone donated so that you could see this today. What we need you to do is to donate so that Dr. Doug can come back, so that other folks can come back and reveal this great information that you are taking advantage of. So if you would like to continue this, make sure that this goes to your family or to folks beyond your family into the future, we need your support. We're gonna give you a couple minutes to do that and then we'll come back, so thank you for doing it. Hey, thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. I hope also you've been supporting Dr. Douglas Hamp at douglashamp.com. You can get Corrupting the Image Part 3. On page 68, during the break, uh, Dr. Doug and I were just talking about something. Uh, we, in, before, in the first segment, we were talking about authority and who gives authority. And by, you know, Adam and Eve gave up their authority to Satan. Satan didn't take it. He tricked them and they gave it up. And that theme happens throughout the Bible. Yeshua said, no one has the authority to take my life. I give it. They didn't take it. They didn't take his authority. So keep that in mind. So then go to page 68 if you have Dr. Doug's book. And uh, so they worship the, page 68, yep. So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. Who gave authority to the beast. So he didn't take it. It was given to him. Exactly. Right. I, I, you know, when, uh, when God was in, or when, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, right, um, they came to uh, to place of Baal Peor, right? That's where they committed a great sin. And Balaam came and was trying to curse them, but he couldn't curse them, right? Why? Right. Because they were blessed, mm. right? And the, and the way, the kind of a back door was, eventually they sent in the Moabite women, and then they said, hey, boys, come in, we'll show you how we worship our gods. And then it says, and God was against them, mm. right? Because they had authority in God, and they gave it up. They basically opened the doors of, of Troy and let in the Trojan horse, mm. all right? So that is what Satan's up, up to. And so this whole idea of authority is huge. We have to understand this, that Satan cannot act unless he has authority. But notice what he's gonna do in Revelation 13. So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast saying, who was like the beast? Who was able to make war against him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Mm. Why would he be blaspheming God and those in heaven? Well, because he has authority, right? And where did he get it? The people gave it to him. Wow. That's the important part. And so this, this whole theme of authority, we see this also in, in um, Revelation 6. It says, a pale green horse, the name of the one who rode on it was death, and Hades followed right behind. So Hades, Sheol, same thing. Right? And it says they were given authority, exousia is the Greek word there, over a fourth of the earth to kill its population with the sword, famine, and disease and by wild animals of the earth. So I started thinking, because the way I always heard this taught was that they're gonna go out and kill a fourth of mankind. But I was looking at the, at the language and I, what I always like to do is I'm like, what does the language actually say? Okay, what does the text say? Not what I've heard. And so I was like, it says over a fourth of the earth the word geis there is the Greek word for earth, right? Not mankind. So then I just kind of on a hunch, I was like, I wonder, you know, we know that what 70, 72% of the earth's surface is covered with water. I was like, I wonder how much like surface area people actually live on. So I found this, this study um, by uh, Tobler et al., who concluded, <laughs> this blew my mind, right? This is back in 1995. They basically divided the world up into different uh, like segments, and they found that the actual surface area of the planet that people live on, ready? 
25.4%. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, no way, that's crazy, right? That's exactly what scripture tells us, mm -hmm. that one fourth of the earth, right? That's where they had authority, exactly where people lived. Lived, huh. Right? Interesting. So that means that they have authority over the entire human race. So it's not that they're gonna kill one fourth of mankind, but they have authority over everywhere that people live, mm. right? That was just incredible. All right, so then we come to this thing of the covenant with death and shale. This is spoken specifically in Isaiah 25. And I wanna make this very clear that this is talking about the leadership in Jerusalem, okay? So I'm, this is not some kind of a, a general thing against, against Jews or Judaism or anything like that, but this is specifically targeting the leadership in Jerusalem. It's kind of okay. like saying, it's not all of American people, but it's Washington DC we don't like, right? Gotcha. That's the okay. problem, right? So, so that's what it's getting at here. And he says, therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem, because you've said we've made a covenant with death and with Sheol, the Greek word Hades, right? We are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through it, it will not come to us. So mm -hmm. we see this again and again and again, this whole idea of authority that mankind, including the leadership in Jerusalem, are going to make a covenant with death and Sheol. Mm. And that is how Satan will be able to blaspheme God and those who dwell in heaven, because guess what? Mankind just gave him the keys to planet Earth. Right? And he's like, you can't touch me. These people have elected me to be their hero, to be their savior. They want me and I can do what I want because they gave me the green light to do it. Wow, they gave up their authority. Yes. Jeez, wow, how about that? Right, right. So, so this, is, this is the whole backdrop to, to what's coming. Mankind is gonna give up that authority. They're going to invite Satan then to come in and save the day, right? So again, we're talking about what does it cost to get rid of these, these two witnesses? Well, just a little bit. Just sign my little covenant with death and shell, <laughs> right? Now again, how that works out in the in the real world, you know, anybody nobody knows. But what the Bible is telling us is that ultimately this deal is going to be a covenant with death and shell. Mm. Now, when you have a covenant with death, how long do you think that's good for? Probably until you're dead, right? So a covenant with death and shell is something that's not reversible. Mm. This is why Satan is so blasphemous because he's like, oh man, I've got them now. They've just signed on to my covenant and there's no way out of it. There's no back door, right? So then once he does this, once mm. he has that, that uh, signed contract, if you will, they probably don't sign anything, but, but they've agreed to this. The world community has said, yes, we want this. We need this. We are so desperate because these two witnesses are threatening life as we know it. We are desperate to do anything. So whatever, whatever the price, we'll do it. So this is where now the Satan's avatar, the beast, the son of perdition, he's gonna go and he's gonna have um, his day, he's gonna go into some kind of a, a temple, a tabernacle structure, whatever it may be, and he's gonna declare himself to be God, showing that he is God, right? That's what it says in mm -hmm. the Second Thessalonians chapter two, right? He's not gonna just go and boast, I'm like God, but he's actually gonna show that he's like God, okay? Now in the book, I, I, I'm not sure if he first goes and makes the boast that he's like God or if he kills the two witnesses first, I'm not entirely sure. So basically I think he goes and makes his boast first and then he goes and kills him. But mm. it could be the other way, I don't know. But in any event, he goes into the temple, he says, you know, I'm God, everybody worship me. And then he goes out to prove it. 
How does he do it? He goes and kills the two witnesses. Who could not be killed. Who could not be killed. Mm. That's the point. They could not be killed by any human means. And so then it gives real understanding to the phrase, who's like the beast? Who can make war with, against him? Well, this makes sense now, because he's able to kill the two witnesses whom nobody could kill. So if he can kill them and we couldn't, wow, who can make war with this guy? So now you can really begin to understand this boast that he's gonna go into the temple declaring himself to be God. Personally, I think it's gonna probably fall on Passover. I think this would be the ultimate slap in the face to God that, you know, again, the, the whole, there's a, a huge comparison and parallel between what happened with coming out of Egypt and the plagues that happened there and what's gonna happen in Revelation. Absolutely. Because remember, God said in, in Exodus, I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. This was a, you know, a tet for tet. This was a God against God, right? Of course, our God wins, mm -hmm. but it was a real contest against the gods. And so this is gonna be also in the future, it's gonna be a real contest between the gods with Satan or the beast, this avatar thing called the son of perdition on the one hand and the real God of heaven on the other, right? So that's gonna be the contest. And so he is then going to go up against the two witnesses. Now, scripture doesn't tell us, uh, doesn't give us a lot of details, sadly, but we can kind of imagine if these guys have superpowers and he's got superpowers, this isn't gonna just be, you know, a, um, um, you know, shoot them down and they're dead kind of thing. There's probably gonna be an epic battle that goes on here. I would imagine all kinds of kind of Marvel-esque type, <laughs> right, <laughs> type yeah, really? scenes happening in, the, in this situation. Uh, we're not told how long it's gonna last, so again, we can only speculate. But, you know, I would not be surprised if we have some kind of, uh, you know, weather changing, lightning coming down, fire coming down from heaven, uh, you know, manipulation of the elements to some degree. Earthquakes, right? for example. Right? And, and, yeah. and we know that Satan has tremendous power, right? When, when uh, he and God were talking about Job, God's like, okay, you can go, just don't kill him, but you can do what you need, right? So then what does he do? He, fire comes down from heaven. Uh, it, a huge wind comes and destroys the house of Job's sons. The fire comes down and destroys all, these, all the, the flocks and whatnot. Satan has those powers, Right? So he's able to manipulate weather and elements in ways that we don't understand. But so will the two witnesses. Right? Mm. So this is going to be an incredible clash. But ultimately, the beast will prevail. He's going to prevail. He's going to um, overcome these two, and they die. And this is where the world's like, oh, thank you. Right? We're so glad we signed that covenant with death and shell. Right? Because now you were able to overcome the two witnesses. We're making our lives miserable. Yeah. Yeah. Again, no rain. So the, our food distribution was, was upset. The waters, at least a third of them, were turned to blood. Right? I mean, starvation was happening. The world economies were crumbling, all because of the things that they were doing. And they were striking the earth with plagues as often as they desired. Mm. I mean, this really was an existential threat, and now they're gone. We're so happy that this happened. These guys are, are toast, and the world is rejoicing at this point. Mm. Wow. So it was an epic battle. It's, it's going to cost something. So, uh, wow. So, so, the, <laughs> so, so what happens after this? I mean, the, the two witnesses are dead. 
But uh, but is that the end? I mean, is there kind of a <laughs> right? Well, that's the are they gone or are they coming back or what happens here? Right. Well, Scripture tells us that after three and a half days, well, first of all, they let their bodies just lie, lie in the streets, right? So everybody okay, yes. can see them. Probably, probably you know they're on TikTok and Facebook and <laughs> YouTube, right? So the whole world can see. So yeah. the whole world can see. Everybody's rejoicing, mm. but then after three and a half days, they come back to life. Mm. And then you hear this voice from heaven saying, come up here, right? And they, they go up into the sky and they're gone. Okay, at this point, the world is freaking out. Wait a second. You killed these guys, that's great, but now they resurrected. This isn't good, right? And so this is where, this is a great fear fell upon the world. You, that's an understatement, right? Talk about great fear. Because nobody could overcome these guys except the beast, and now they rise again, and then they go up to wherever. This is bad news, right? So this is where the world is going to really pivot and say, we've got to do something radical. We need a way to fight against these two. Because probably the scenario will be that they went up to their leader, and maybe they're going to come back. Because isn't that what they were talking about the whole time? That mm -hmm. judgment's coming, and some guy named Jesus or Yeshua is coming or whatever, Right? However, they interpret that. They know. In fact, we're told that uh, you know, in Revelation 19, the whole world came together to make war against the Lamb. Right? We're, we're told that in many places that the whole world's coming together to fight, mm. to, spite, to fight specifically against Yeshua. Right? That's their stated goal. And so they understand basically the what's at stake. They know that they have to do something incredibly radical in order to, in order to overcome uh, this, this perceived threat. So when the two go up, they're thinking they're going to come back. And they're going to come back with reinforcements, probably with their, with their leader. Mm -hmm. So what do we do as humanity, as a world, to do this? And this is where I would suggest that we're going to then go into the mark of the beast, right? So the mark of the beast essentially is not so you can check out faster at Walmart. Right, you can already go to Amazon Go and you can just walk out with your stuff. Right. So it's not about just doing that, but it's really going to be an upgrade. It's going to be an upgrade. So now you have the beast, right? He is this, this genetic hybrid between Satan and a human. His DNA has been, has been fundamentally changed. So then, so to prepare humanity for what's coming, everyone's going to need to take that DNA so that they can become a god as well. Hmm. That's, where, that's where it's leading to. Take the DNA. So how do you think that's going to happen? I mean, what are, do you have any hunches as to how that would... Well, yes, I do, actually. <laughs> yes, I do. So again, you know, where we are in, the, in this whole scenario is that um, it's incredibly cheap now to do genetic uh, engineering, you can do it in live people, right? So you can be changed while you're still alive. You don't mm -hmm. have to do it in a Petri dish. And, um, you know, there's already a huge desire on the part of transhumanists and others who want to become gods, right? So if, if we had the, the technological means to become a god, would we become a god? I think we would, especially if we felt that there was an existential threat coming from outside this world. You know, it's incredibly timely where, uh, you know, back in the 80s, Ronald Reagan said that 
you know, he would, when he was getting together with uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, he often thought of how if we had an external threat from outside this world, how quickly uh, the, the national differences would just evaporate. And we'd come together to fight some other force. Right, and we see this in the movies all the time. You right. know, Independence Day, right? Had the all the worlds coming together because there was aliens were here, right? Right. So we all got together and stopped fighting amongst ourselves. I think that's going to be the basic scenario. The two witnesses are going to be that external threat that will bring the world together like never before, mm. because they don't want to give in to the demands. They're going to reject the truth that the two witnesses are bringing, so that they can fight against. The two witnesses. Yeah, so everybody's, this is where even the elect will be deceived. Right. Everyone, this is a big deception. It's not that everyone willingly, yes, let's do it. They were tricked into giving up their authority in order to get rid of what they thought was a bad guy, which is actually the good guys. Exactly. Right. I mean, this is totally flipping the narrative, isn't it? Wow. Um, You know, and so uh, the way I, you know, came about these things, I just kept asking, why would Satan do this? Right? I know what he's going to do. Scripture tells me what he's going to do. But why? You know, what is, or, you know, what's in it for him? He's not going down without a fight. He's not resolved that he's just going to lose and like whatever, I'm just going to take some people to hell with me. Like, that's not the scenario. He's fighting to win, right? So he's, he's we talked about setting the stage, we, you know, all these different things, right? So now we got the beast. This is now the son of perdition. This is the seed of Satan, as I talked about in Genesis 3.15. And now he is going to be the champion for the world. He defeats the two witnesses, but they come back to life. This tells you that they're coming back with a gigantic army. So now the entire world is on alert. What do we do? Well, if, if, if the beast could overcome the two... Mm-hmm. If there's a whole army coming, I bet all of humanity could upgrade and take on the army, mm. right? And now you can see where it's not, again, it's not to check out faster in the, in the supermarket. This is an existential threat and everybody is compelled, required. It's your, it's your human duty to become, to be upgraded, so that we can all fight against this threat that's coming against us. And if you're not willing to do that, well, what, are you on the side of the two witnesses? You would rather side with these two hostile aliens that were against us? Mm. Is that where you are? Or or do you want to see that humanity survives? Right? And, And so now you can begin to see where if you're not willing to take the mark, then, well, maybe we'll give you a grace period. Maybe we'll let you... Um, you know, have some time to think about it. You, you should just want to take it, but for some reason you right. don't. And, and then if you're, if you're still not willing to do that, well, we're going to put a, a, a levy on you that you can't buy or sell if you don't take this, right? And, and if you're still not willing, well, now we just need to get rid of you because you are a threat to humanity. You're right. clearly a traitor. We can't trust you. We don't want a traitor in our midst because you'll probably stab us in the back. You're with the two witnesses. We, don't, we can't have that. Mm. And, and that's where... You know, it's going to become a life or death decision to take the mark or not to take the mark, mm. right? But you're going to, people who do, do take it will be thinking, I'm going to become a god. I'll have superpowers. I'll have super intelligence. There's every reason to take the mark of the beast, right? And besides, we've evolved this far. Why shouldn't we just evolve to the next level, right? This isn't some mark of the beast thing. This is just 
part of our natural human evolution, and we're just kind of jump-starting it. We're, we're doing the little fast track in our evolution. That's essentially all that's gonna, gonna happen. Wow, and it all seems so logical. I mean, we see pieces of that now where, uh, like you said, it, it's all based on data, on information, right? That, that's where this all backs up to. So should it surprise us that any kind of righteous, true information in the world in the last few years has been suppressed. Mm. And people are screaming, truth, 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 and everybody's going, yeah, whatever. And <laughs> right. then they just brush it aside. Right. That's not the truth, this is the truth. Right. You know, and it, the, the truth can't get out regardless of how true it is. And those who are putting it out there are, this is where our, our phrase cancel culture comes from. Mm. We better just cancel you. Mm. So in a very, kindergarten, very schoolyard way, you know, compared to what's coming, this is happening now. We're being conditioned. Look, you guys, pay attention. This is what's gonna happen on a much grander, much more serious scale. It's happening now. We're, we're being conditioned to, to know what to look for. I exactly, think. exactly. Crazy. Yeah, it, it's, it's really mind-blowing. You know, but I think it also underscores that there will be, obviously, a resistance. We call them the remnant, okay? Mm -hmm. And there can be people, I think, during the, the ministry of the, of the two witnesses, that people will be really emboldened and say, wait a second, these guys represent the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They represent Yehovah. And I think for some of us who are already believers, we're going to be really encouraged and emboldened and say, wait, I can do that? I didn't know I had that power, right? right. I didn't know I had that authority. Right? We kind of know, right? We read it in the scripture, but we've never seen it. Yeah. We don't see miracles happening on a regular basis, especially here in America. And so I think when we actually see miracles happening, we'll be like, wait a second, I haven't been uh, doing what I'm supposed to be doing, right? And, and, and so there will be, I think, a huge revival during the time of the two witnesses. And, and then, but the line between being on God's side or not will become very very clear, mm -hmm. and you'll have to make a decision. And I think we're also going to see people who maybe have never heard about Yehovah. They've never, you know, maybe they've heard it, the name in passing, but it doesn't really make sense. You know, this could be people all over the world who are going to come to faith in Yeshua. It's going to be so exciting. It's going to be the biggest revival the world has ever seen because it's now in your face. You cannot argue it away. You can't say, oh, that's not happening because it's affecting you. You're like, why is there no rain again? Well, there's two guys over there that are saying that we need to repent and come back to this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or whoever he is. And you know, a lot of our world leaders don't want to, but well, tell me about more about this, this individual, right? And people are gonna discover that and they're going to come to faith. So it'll be really an amazing time. And there's always a remnant that can sort of see through see through the, the, the deception, the cloud. Right. They can see behind what, what really is true. So yeah, we got to keep our minds on the, the good book and not uh, anything else we're seeing out there. Amen. Well, Dr. Doug, will you come back and uh, tell us more next week? I'd be honored. Okay, great, okay. thank you. All right, and you join us too, okay? So come back for episode three. We're gonna talk about all kinds of great things because we're not nearly done with Corrupting the Image part three. Go to douglashamp.com, get yourself the PDF version, or if you wanna get the hardcover like we have here, you can go to Amazon. The information is on the bottom of your screen. All right, so we'll see you next week. Until then, Shavua Tov, have a great week. And we'll see you next time on Shabbat Night Live. We all see what's going on in Ukraine and whether you listen to this media or that media, you're getting all kinds of stories. And what we heard from Trey Sprinkle last time we talked to him was that sometimes none of those things are true. Sometimes it's a, 
It's one of these things where you tell a story around the circle and by the time it comes back to you, it's not even the right story. So what do we believe? The only way we can believe really what's going on over there and take lessons for us to learn from home before it comes to our soil is by listening to someone who's been there without an agenda and just finding out what's really going on. So we figure we should probably bring back Trey Sprinkle one more time. Trey, thank you for joining us on Shabbat Night Live. So, Scott, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we've talked about this where you've been there. We, we talked about the story about um, the Russian train where there was all kinds of, let's call it rumors, mm -hmm. that, oh, the Russians are going to stop you. They're, they're going to bore the train and kill everybody and don't do it. You know. And then meanwhile, there's a guy in Ukraine going, I don't know if that's true. You should just come over here because we need your help. Yeah. So you risk your life anyway. You go over there. You find out that Huh. A lot of the stuff is is not true. So let me ask you this first. What was the most surprising thing that you learned? Going over there, hearing all the stuff that's going on, you decide to go over to Ukraine and help using your skill set as a former military. Um, Wait, using my former law enforcement. Law enforcement, I'm sorry. For, former law enforcement, not military. Right, but <laughs> you're helping the military over there. Yeah. Uh, so what is the biggest thing you learned that was not true, not what you thought? Um... So one, everybody had a boogeyman, and there really wasn't a boogeyman to be found. Okay. Um, Russia's the boogeyman, and you could actually pinpoint where they were on the map. Mm. Um, war is not like 100% shooting all day long. Okay. It's, it's more, there's nothing going on and nothing going on, and then there's a bomb, and nothing going on, and then there's you know an attack. Mm. Um, and so it's it's not like the movies, like, a segment of it might be like the movies, but they forgot to tell you the part where there, you know, it was very calm and you know, only waiting for terror to happen. Right. Um, which is super stressful. Um, and then in America, we we the news that we have got has become so political that we don't realize the fear of the people in Ukraine mm. that are they're just like us. You know, they eat the same food, they have the same thing, they have the same hobbies as us. And and they're all, you know, bundled up inside their home, scared to death, and and just waiting and praying that they're they aren't next. Mm. Um, and they're a perfect example of somebody who now actually has to reach out to the father, however they believe right. that they have to have um, you know, God help them. So that's the first thing I guess we need to learn is number one, while we live in uh, quote unquote peace and safety uh, over here in the US, we need to be praying for those folks and not get complacent. We talked about that last time we talked, uh, was that you in the US were getting very complacent about things. So we need to be using our peace and safety time to pray for others uh, and really get on the ball and do something, uh, even just spiritually, right? Yep. Um, we forget in America because Overall, the vast majority of Americans, nothing that bad has ever really happened to you. Now, I realize there are some things, right? Um, but overall, we live a very safe, comfortable life. Nobody else in the world lives this life as us. And so we have to be careful that we don't forget to rely on Yahovah and the actual meaningful, I'm on my knees and I'm praying about this, not just, oh, you know, help them out, but like meaningful, I'm doing this on purpose, out of my heart to pray for you. Mm -hmm. And the power that that has, we just kind of forget as Americans because 
I mean, if somebody doesn't take care of us, the government does. Right. I mean, especially as Torah observant believers, we can see that. If we look in the history of just Israel, where if, when the people pray and you really believe, and, and when they were battling with uh, Palestinian folks, uh, you know, in, in the 60s and things, we saw miracles happen. That was the only way to explain it. God came down and had happened what he wanted to have happen. And that can happen here, but only through prayer. And that is maybe the biggest weapon, quote unquote, that we have. Now, there's something else that you noticed there as well. Um, so we, you come from America, you go over there, realize, oh man, do we ever have a complacent life? <laughs> and you go over there and, you, and now you said you had a mind change about prepping. We've done a big series on Shabbat Night Live here called uh, Revelation Preparation. We talked to all kinds of prepping experts. Here's one guy was smart enough to say, hey, you don't need a 72-hour bug out bag. Where are you gonna bug out to? You're gonna be stuck. And as you found in, in Ukraine, a lot of people are just stuck, right? They are. So um, the, the movement in Torah observant believers is, uh, maybe you could sum it up in, come out of her, my people, lest you partake in her evils. So um, a lot of Torah observant people are trying to get away from cities and built up areas. And again, we find ourselves saying, um, did you call God Yahovah? Did you call him Yahweh? Did you call him Yahuwah? And, and because of that, we don't like you. Or you follow Michael Rood and you don't follow this other guy? We don't like you. Um, and it, instead of coming together as a group, we've split up into all these other little groups just like church has since the beginning, right? It's like Catholics did it, Baptists did it. It's, it's just what everybody does is, and then all of a sudden we just believe that our group is the only right group and nobody else is right. <laughs> right? right, yeah. And it's like, wait, I, I'm trying to, to you know, be like, like Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved. I'm trying to show my, I'm always studying. And every time I look back a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, mm-hmm. I look back and say, man, I thought I had it all figured out then and I didn't know anything. And so when I try, when I get so focused on, especially when it comes to the Bible, because it's been taken out of, you know, Hebrew and Greek and translated and translated and translated and agendas have been put into it, that we're always going to be studying to get further along in this and always grow our relationship and and our knowledge. Um, So I may believe this this year, but next year realize that I was, it was a flaw, but it doesn't mean that I'm wrong. You know, we realize together as a whole, all everybody that's following Torah, that at some point in time, the father said, you're going to follow the Torah. And we got that. And then all of a sudden, instead of coming together as a group, we started going apart. Mm-hmm. So here's what I noticed. Um, I, I've, I've been in one of these places where listen to all of the YouTube preppers and none of them have ever been in a situation. So they're prepping mm. based off movies, based off what's common sense to them and what off research that they do. So they think, oh, if I do all this and store all this, this is how this is gonna work out because in their brain, this is how the conclusion that they came up to, whatever it is, and they might not be wrong, but the truth is when it actually happens, it's like two things. Nothing is ever as good as you think it's gonna be and nothing is ever as bad as you think it's gonna be. Hmm. So I was there in the middle of a war and I'm gonna be back over there here soon. And what I've seen is, there are no people in the country that are living off of chickens and food that they stored because that makes them a target and a very mm. easy target because as enemies come, they're taking out all of these small things, right? 
what they're not able to take out is when 80 or 100 or 200 of those people stay out there and they get together. Mm. Well, they have to bypass those people because they're a real force. Um, but whenever you're out there by yourself and because you think that you have it figured out and your way's the right way, boy, you're just an easy target. And one of the things that I've noticed is that, like we had a, a man with us, his name is Paul. He came from California. He was the one that would fix the stopped up toilets when we had them, fix the showers when we had them. We, we took a shower like maybe every week. Um, he was the one that would make sure that grills were going or pots and pans were ready. Um, we had somebody that cooked for us. It, you know, simple things, cars are running, gas is in there. The maintenance guy, like nobody even thinks about that. And then everybody thinks that it's going to be some like SEAL Team 6 operator. It's not like that at all. It's more like you're... You're trying to survive, live, trying to eat, trying to dispose of waste, and you're in sheer terror that at any point in time, you or somebody you love is going to lose their life. Mm. But people come together and they forget about their, their, their differences. And so I used to always wonder, in wartime, how do I know that I could say, Scott, I just met you. How do I know I can trust you? Like, I don't know if I can trust you, but when you have an enemy that's an enemy against both of you, well, Scott's pretty easy to trust at that time. And you'll find that they don't want to break trust to each other in that situation. And everybody all of a sudden just like forgets about all of the small little things, comes together as one unit. But it takes a lot of people, a lot of people that are busy all day doing something so that your group can eat, sleep, be protected. You know, that's one thing, again, I mentioned this one prepper guy who brought this out, and he said, yeah, when you actually do like a, a practice scenario, that's what you find, is that you don't have a lot of time to sit around and, and open up a can of beans and eat it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's stuff going on. Yeah, there's always something going on. And so we probably had less going on than most of them because we didn't speak Ukrainian or Russian. Mm -hmm. um, but we would always try to help, and we, we had, you know, steady training. But... One of the things that I noticed is that they were all working all of the time. Um, they were all very welcome to help each other. Sure, they had some arguments and stuff, but they're welcome to help each other. It's very hard to organize. Um, the ability to be able to organize from the top down and be able to have each person that can take a job and get the job done so that the group can have it done collectively is very difficult. That's a talent all on its own. Um, and it's something that we pass on. You know, as, as preppers in America, we seem to be saying, if I have the food and I have the guns, I'm going to be okay. And I'm by myself, I'm going to be okay. Right. Really, you'll be better if you had one, two, 300 people. Mm. Um, and in the Torah observant community, it would be a whole lot better if you came together and you could all believe the same. Right. But in the end, whenever you're in that situation, you'll be shocked that it doesn't actually matter what you believe um, as long as you are together fighting the, the, you know, the common enemy. Maybe the thing we need to be working on most as I hear you're talking, I wrote down the word here, humility. Because as you mentioned, it's very hard to have an organizational structure because... In Torah communities, everybody thinks they're right. Oh, well, I don't like the leader you've got for this group. I don't like the leader. And I've seen splits like that as well in the Torah groups that I attend. So do you see that as like, I mean, how do we get around this where, we, where we're also proud, especially as Americans, we're proud of our country and all this. But how do we get to that place of humility and saying, you know what? It's okay that Trey's the leader and I'm not. He's got a skill I don't. What do I do, Trey? I mean, is, is that 
what it comes down to? It is, and a part. I think it starts with the leaders, right? If if I'm the leader of, um, let's just use Torah uh, group. If I'm the leader of a group and I have, you know, people underneath me and they're they're following my instruction and I'm trying to hear from the Father what I. There's somebody else that's doing that in the next town and the next town and the next town. The leaders need to come together and have the humility to say, mm, we may not agree, but we're gonna agree to be friends and let's put the money aside and, and you know who's gonna pay tithes or offerings or let's put that aside and let's say as a community, let's come together because people are gonna follow their leader and if their leaders would be humble, submit themselves to the Father and accept each other, I think people will come behind them. And mm-hmm. then people need to just kind of open their eyes and say, wait a minute, this, this guy that we're following, he, he may have put a lot of, of research into this, but it doesn't mean everything he says is like the way I believe is right. There, you know, I'm gonna believe something different next year. I'm gonna learn more and more as I go. So instead, if you're a Torah believer, let's reach out to each other and say, let's come together and not worry about the little things. And then from there, I think we can organize. Right, and then it's not like every, like you said, if the leaders come together, we need to have the humility to say, you know what? Uh, if this organizational structure we have of having 10 leaders doesn't work, we need to pick one. You need yeah. to be able to take a step back and go, yeah, okay, it's not me, it's you. Yeah, and it's okay. And it's, it's like, one of the things that I've learned in this is if there's somebody out there that they don't even have to be better than you. If there's somebody that's willing to step up and take the role, let them have it and you take another role, right? And Find support a, that leader. Support that leader. Find a role that you can help with and you can't do three roles. Find the one role that you can help with. You don't have to be the boss. Mm. It's okay. It's actually more fulfilling if you're not. Because if you're the boss, the pressure that comes with being the boss is tough, right? Um, so find your role. Even if you're a leader in your church organization um, and you need to submit to another one, it's okay. Mm. I mean, it's not like it's... it's I just think it goes down to pride and we have to be humble. And mm. to define that in America as an American is very hard to do. Right, and so you're seeing that in Ukraine. So when you come back and, and all this is, let's pray this blows over sooner than later and we can take lessons from it. What's, what's one of the most powerful lessons you're gonna bring home and, and live life differently because of it? The, probably the most powerful lesson that I have is um, the the things that I thought were problems in the United States were things that we created because we were bored, mm. and I've I'm cutting that out of my life, um, and making it a lot more simple. You don't need the cell phone that much. You don't need to watch TV that much or social media that much, even though I'm on social media. Um, and also to repair relationships that it's it's become very easy for Americans, especially me. I'm very guilty of it. If you, if you crossed me to, for me to say, okay, I'll forgive you, but I'm not giving you a chance to come back into my life. Right. Um, reopening those doors, I think, is a big thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like where we see Torah groups splitting over stupid things. That's right. Like somebody got divorced uh, and they, they remarried. Oh my, now, now I've seen that personally. In, not, not personally, been divorced, but in, in a Torah group I've seen that happen uh, just because of things we don't agree with. And, yeah, and I think at this point in time, from from here on out, the goal should be go back and mend those relationships. The people that in common believe, you know, 70, 80% of what you do, let's come back to common ground and let's move forward as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just cut out a lot of needless drama and stress. 
It's interesting you mentioned that we believe 70, 80% of the same thing. There's that whole 80-20 rule, right? Yeah, 80-20. <laughs> like, and, and that could be used for all kinds of things, but I know even uh, when we're doing things that need to be done in a hurry or are urgent, like you said, when, when, you're, when you're in a situation, all of a sudden the, the priorities change. Mm-hmm. And even here in the ministry, when, when we're doing something that's urgent, needs to be done right now, uh, it's, you don't need to cross every T and dot every I. It's like, if it's 80% there and people are gonna understand what you're trying to say and you're gonna get the message across, go with 80%. Yep. Forget trying to make it 100. Yep. You gotta get to the mountain before you can climb the mountain. So 80%. Right. And then that eliminates all the other, the 20% is what you're talking about. The cell phones, the media, all the, the rumors, the infighting. That's the thing that's going to destroy this country, I think. And maybe I'd like to see what you think too. Is no, the I, infighting I, in America is ridiculous. I believe it. It's the, it's, it's, if we don't, it started with political. If you did not believe, you know, you had somebody on the right or the left, if it didn't matter what party it is, you just don't agree with them. And then it comes down to your small life in church. If, if you didn't agree with one, pre- one preacher or the other, it was over. Or you got in a fight with somebody in the church, it was, you know, we're splitting it. And then it goes down to simple things like baseball games. You know, you really mad at an umpire? You know, are you really mad your kid didn't get to play today? Eh. There are way bigger problems in this world than making that a problem in your life mm-hmm. because, you know, you're like the monkey slapping the alligator. Yep. And then when you focus on those little problems, you're not going to be emotionally or mentally prepared to deal with the bigger problems because you haven't put those things aside. Sure. And you've used all of your energy to, to focus on this problem that really isn't a problem. Mm. Um, and I just think that's where we are in America today is that we're creating our own drama. And when you go to another country that's in war and you see the sheer terror that they live in and then what really matters and what doesn't, it gives you a new perspective. Mm. You mentioned you're going back to Ukraine. Can we pray for you before you take off? Absolutely, appreciate it. All right, so Yehovah, thank you for Trey. Thank you for what he's doing. Uh, We pray that you would protect his family while he's away. We pray pray that you protect him while he's away. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, everything he's doing over there is righteous in your eyes. Help him to come into the contact with the right people to get the job done that you want to have done over there. And we pray that he comes home and we pray that everything blows over uh, in this situation, Father. And even if that is not your will, uh, that you would save those folks that need to be saved and help those folks protect themselves and uh, at least come to a a knowledge of you that they can depend on you and not depend on any other person, but you are the one that's going to protect them. So again, the big request to your father is protection, both for his family and for Trey. And uh, we pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Trey, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for joining us. And... uh, Pray for Trey as he goes over there and you can support what he's doing uh, with the information on the bottom of your screen. These are Trey's organizations and uh, he does not take a salary from these. He has created these specifically for the mission that he is going over to Ukraine doing right now. So if you would like to support him, that's how you can do it. Uh, Thank you again for supporting this ministry because you made it possible for uh, Trey to come see us. So thank you again and Shabbat Shalom. 